Come, let's join our hearts in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we praise you. We bless your name. We revere you, Lord. We honor you. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. And truly, Lord, we thank you for this freedom we have to gather in this place, in our country. Something that we must never take for granted. And so, Lord, thank you for being here with us also. And we ask Holy Spirit, speak to us through Scripture so that Jesus will be revealed afresh to all of us. Please be with me also, empower me, enable me, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight, we're going to look at an aspect of um, being on assignment for Jesus. And I came up with this very odd title. It's called Mess and Messiah. <laughs> now you must be wondering, what is this message all about? I'll keep you guessing um, for a little while more, but if you look at this picture, you know it's like a jigsaw, right? Um, or children's pieces where they need, to, they need to put things together. But if you have worked at a jigsaw puzzle before and you don't have the benefit of having the big picture, it can be quite messy. Am I right? Yeah? And sometimes when we serve God, it can be like that. We may not know how the pieces fit in God's bigger picture. I know and you know that it's going to be beautiful in the end. But the thing is, when we go through it, it can seem very, very messy. And it can be also very discouraging. And so in the frame of um, today's language, you, will see, you might see this on Facebook. Keep calm. Don't make a mess. Because we don't like messes. If you like a mess, you can say amen now. We don't like it. And how do we understand our journey with God or our walk with God? How does a mess come into play? You know, I once came across a Facebook post and someone quoted Romans 8.28. Now, you're all Bible students here, right? Huh? You know what's Romans 8.28. And it says, all things work for good. And this person lifted up the all things and lifted up the next word, good, and said, you see, the Bible says all things good. So be encouraged. Nothing bad will happen to you. Now, do you know that's bad hermeneutics? That's totally inaccurate, right? Okay. And yet, there are people who would say things like that. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. And we are happy to lap it all up because we don't like mess. I don't like mess. If you know me, I'm a planner. I said we will start at a certain time and we start at a certain time. Praise the Lord. And if I'm one minute late, I, I feel very irritated. And so if you mess up my timing, you know, it's going to make me feel very uncomfortable. I don't like mess, and I, I know you don't like it too. We don't like it in our life. We don't like it in parenting. We don't like it in our jobs. We don't like it in our churches and so on. And the problem is that in today's feel-good brand of Christianity, we might come away with the idea that a Christian walk must always be nice and good. If that's our theology, that's dangerous. Because if the moment things don't go right, we start to wonder, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my believing? Not that there isn't, but you start to question, right? Or maybe I lack faith. Or maybe I'm not in the right relationship with God. How do we understand mess when we talk about being on an assignment for God or with God or perhaps being on a mission with Him? Now, I know I'm in a company who might remember this first series. The rest might be looking at this man and say, how come it's not Tom Cruise? Okay, this is the original Mission Impossible. 1966 to 1973, I want to dig this one up. 
I want you to watch this little video clip. And at the same time, capture American intelligence agents, thereby embarrassing the West. In spite of this trap, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to get the document and bring Anna Kurkowska to safety. As always, should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. And everyone goes, dun, 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 dun. That was your part. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? And th this was what came to mind when I was preparing this message. You see, they listed out the requirements of this mission to the Mission Impossible team. And it says, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this. But just in case it gets messy. <laughs> if any of your team sort of like bombs out or dies, you know, or, or, or really boo-boos, we are not going to acknowledge anything. Missions can be messy. And I suppose tonight, I want us to ponder this. They're not just missions, not, say, you know, not, not that we go overseas, don't get the word missions as, as in traveling overseas, you know? But a mission, a messianic mission can be messy. Again, we don't like to hear this. Because we, when we pray to the Lord, we don't say, Lord, please mess me up. Have you prayed that before? No, never, right? We always say, Lord, make sure it goes smooth. And we'll quote Proverbs and we say, you know, if we commit our plans to the Lord, it will go well with you. It will be smooth. And everything we want to be soon, soon. But tonight, I'm here to warn you that messianic missions or our God-given assignments can be messy. So as we continue in our study of Matthew, tonight we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, and we are introduced to the two characters of Joseph and Mary. So let's read the scriptures together. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we know this story very well. But allow me, perhaps, to begin by going through some concepts and to lay again the context. And then later on, draw lessons out of it that we can better understand how we can be on assignment for the kingdom. We are now introduced to the birth of the Messiah. Now, if you look at the very first line, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now, that is in the New King James. Now, we know from last teaching that Matthew had already presented his case that the Messiah must be of both Jewish and royal heritage, son of Abraham, son of David. And so Matthew now proceeds to describe the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, in the New King James, it says, this is how it is. It is as follows. Now, that's a little bit flippant. You know, oh, this is how it is, as follows. I like the NIV. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. A little bit more detailed. And ESV says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. All right? And so there's detail that Matthew wants us to notice. And it is something that we... Don't expect the birth of Jesus Christ in the way that it happened is not something that we would expect. For example, number one, we know that we have just gone through a typical genealogy, but this is not a typical conception. 
<laughs> if you have you know, if you read the whole genealogy and who begot who and who begot who and who begot who, you know, and later on it ends and it starts. Now, this is the way Jesus comes. And we see that it's a typical genealogy, but it's definitely not a typical conception. Now, Jesus, the name, the Christ, we also know it ends the lineage or the line of man, but does not begin in the ways of men. <laughs> Suddenly, Matthew sort of you know, does a little bit of a twist. You know, this is how it happens. And in fact, if you go through this story as we will in, 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 in these few moments, the one who is appointed to rule, the Christ, appears to arrive through the breaking of rules. This messes us up, right? This messes our minds like, huh? After this beautiful genealogy, everything is stated so nicely. This is atypical. It is not anything we expect. It messes with our minds. And yet, the beautiful thing about Scripture and what God is doing through this is that order is still maintained as recorded by Matthew. I want you to notice this one verse here. In verse 16, we read, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. If anyone knows his Greek, Matthew thus. Now, we read this and we go, like that, Lord? What's the big deal? We have read all the begots. What is this begot? You notice the phrasing is different. The first thing we see is that Mary of whom was born Jesus, the word whom, actually, if you go into original text, it's feminine. Came through the mother. Nothing to do with the father. That's one hint. And those who understand that language in, the, in, in Matthew's days would have perhaps picked that up. Later on, in verse 18, it describes his mother, Mary, never spoke about his father, Joseph. Everything is in order. Everything is recorded, although we see a, a seeming mess in our minds. Everything is in order. Notice also that Matthew did not phrase it as, Joseph begot Jesus by Mary. You look at all the other women, it was like that. So-and-so begot so-and-so by Tama. So-and-so begot so-and-so by Rahab. You see that? But this phrasing is special. <laughs> It does not say Jesus, uh, Joseph begot Jesus by Mary. It says, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that even in a seeming confusion or a mess, God preserves order. Of course, Matthew is very quick to point out later on in these three verses that she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. It was not Joseph. It is the Holy Spirit. Then we ask, so how did it happen? When did it happen? The story unfolds. We read in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, or happened in this way. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So when did it happen? There was an after and there was a before. Isn't the Bible beautiful? So you know, if you look at the Bible and you see the word after and before, you know it must have happened somewhere in between. But when it happened, it's not exactly a nice fact. It happened after a betrothal, but before a consummation. Now, we may not be so aware of this in our culture because we do not betroth anyone to anyone nowadays. So let's study this word, betrothal, to understand this concept and to understand why it was a problem in those days. The word betrothal in its original would have come from a root verb called to remember. Can you say remember? Please remember. It means remember. And this word to remember is significant because the couple would have been arranged to come together either by parents or through a trusted friend or what we call a servant, a friend of the bridegroom. 
Remember John the Baptist? He was referred to as, I am the friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom needs to, will have the bride, so I will have to decrease. The bridegroom will have to increase. John chapter 3. So this arrangement would be made by these people and they will have a betrothal ceremony. And it's significant because the couple must remember this ceremony. That's how important it is. Maybe I should preach this at a wedding. We should tell the couple, you better remember, okay? Because once after the wedding, they forget already. How many of you remember your vows? How many of you remember what actually happened on that day? Or was it your heart was beating too hard for it and too loudly? So the word betrothal comes from a root word to remember. It's important. At this ceremony or in this betrothal um, concept, the bridegroom actually pays a price for his bride. They're not married yet. But he pays a price, he pays a bride price, and the bride remains with the family until the time of the marriage. And we know it's usually determined by the bridegroom's father or as and when she's ready. Now, as I say this, you should think about the price our bridegroom paid for us, the church. Amen? Right? And there will be a time where Jesus will come back for us again. And so this is how serious it is that although they are not married yet, betrothal is deemed as good as married. And that's why if you look in this passage, it refers to Joseph, her husband. And take to yourself, marry your wife. Now, they're not even married, you know. They are betrothed. But the terms that are used, they are husband and wife. They just have not consummated that relationship yet. The consummation will only take place after the wedding. It's going to happen at least a year from that time of betrothal. And if betrothal is seen to be as good as binding as marriage, then the only way out, the way out of betrothal is not, let's sit down together and say, I think I, I discovered you like, you like beef and I like lamb. We can't get together. Bye. doesn't work that way. Okay? You don't just come and you just say, let's cancel it. It doesn't happen that way. To cancel a betrothal, there are only two ways. One is by divorce. Now, again, this divorce is not the way we understand divorce. Hire a lawyer, separation of three years, you know, backdated, and we can get out. No. In divorce, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 to 4, you will refer to it by yourself, you can read it. The man, would, if he has found some uncleanness in this person, in the, in the wife, he can then issue a certificate of divorce and send her away. So if she has been unfaithful or unclean in any way, he can call off this betrothal. The second way that you can cancel this is by death. Meaning to say, if you read in Deuteronomy 22, specifically 23 to 27, it says that if a virgin who is betrothed and happens to lie with a man or a man forces himself on her and either she cries out, she doesn't cry out, whatever it is, the moment they have a sexual relationship and they are found out, they are to be stoned to death. Not very good options, would you agree with me? So this is serious. Very, very, very serious. It's very different for our days. But at that time, it's, it's crazy. So if you look at after betrothal and before consummation, and Mary is found with child, do you know what that means? It means mega mess. <laughs> Big mess, all right? It's not good news at all. I mean, Mary will come and tell Joseph, um, hi, Joseph, <laughs> uh, I'm pregnant. Whoa. Who's the guy? What happened? 
You know what I mean? Were you violated? What? Was it, was it someone else? I, 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 I don't know. Uh, well, not quite Joseph. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know? Holy Spirit. And I'm the... You know, it just goes on. It's just crazy. How... Can you imagine Joseph? Can you imagine Mary herself? When the angel appeared to her and so on? And this is the scenario that we have in Matthew chapter, 18, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Now with that as a background, I want to give you five things I've, I've observed you know, through this. And I hope that it will bless you as we process Kingdom 101, knowing who our king is, and we are discovering his birth tonight. Understanding his kingdom and wanting to receive our assignments. So are you ready? First one. I looked at Joseph and Mary, I realized this. Before Joseph, before they were, uh, uh, Joseph and Mary, the, the parents of Jesus, the Messiah, they were our keepers. He's like, huh? Got me? Let me explain this to you. Before this passage, they were, almost unknown. They were two individuals totally insignificant in the scheme of things where Israel was concerned. If not for the genealogical records that prove their links to David, they, no one would have given them the time of day. Can you see this? They, they were like nobodies. They were almost anonymous in that sense. You study their background, they are of simple, very humble background. We know that Joseph was a tradesman, he was a carpenter in this little town called Nazareth. And in the weeks to follow, when we are studying about Nazareth, someone looked at Jesus and says, Come from Nazareth, ah? Really, ah? What can come out from there? Good, me? This is my Singlish Bible, okay? You've got to bear with me on that one. Nazareth. Both of them, they were not well off. They were poor. This is evidenced by their offering when they finally presented Jesus to the temple or in the temple, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You read this in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. They were of humble means, nobodies. Do you know this fact should encourage a lot of us? Like I shared with you just now, to be in our keepers, we're like almost anonymous. No one knows us, and it's okay. Mary and Joseph, their only qualification, if you want to talk about one, is that they must be in the line of David. And they were. Do you know that that would have been the only qualification that they needed? Thankfully, we are told Joseph is a just man. But that is not necessarily a pre-qualification. Doesn't mean that you can be unjust. Don't get the wrong message. Do you know that the only qualification that you and I need is to be in Christ? And we are. Isn't that wonderful? You see, so are you qualified? Yes, you are. You see, you don't have to look at, oh, I, I, I have to be rich, I have to be influential. I could. No. They were not. Whatever qualified them, qualified them. Whatever qualifies us, praise the Lord, qualifies us. Do you realize that after the birth of Jesus Christ and throughout, both of them remained as they were until some man-made system venerated one of them? Are you hearing this? Joseph drops out of the scene. <laughs> we don't read of him anymore. Mary was the only one that was at the cross later on, right? And it was, it's continued by some tradition, which we won't mention. As I look at this, I realize they were our keepers. And if I'm in our keepers, and, and like they were our keepers, man, I'm qualified for God's assignment. And so are you. As you read about Joseph and Mary, and as you learn about them through the next few points, bear this in mind first. We qualify in Christ. 
The second point is an interesting one, as I was pondering. Joseph was righteous in obeying the law. He's a just man. But God called him to a greater righteousness by obeying the Spirit of the law. Let me unpack this a little bit. In Matthew 1.19, we read, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away. Now think about it. Joseph is just. Joseph is righteous. Doesn't mean he's perfect. Okay? All that means is he knows God's laws and he wants to live by God's laws. That's what it means. And so being a just man by the law, Joseph, because Mary is now pregnant, Joseph would have to divorce Mary and to risk her even being stoned. That's what a just person would do. Would he be right in doing it? Yes, he would. All right? And so his, his convictions, and it's good to have convictions, guided his determination to say, this is how we're going to do it. But we're not going to make it a public spectacle. I'm going to do it, no matter what. That's his conviction. Don't get this wrong. Huh? Don't, get, don't miss part. I'm going to do it, but we're going to do it this way. Let me try and put her away secretly. And the two words that we read, not wanting to make her a public example, that was his determination already. He has made up his mind. But how to do it, he was still wrestling. That's how the original text comes across as. Okay? Not wanting to make her a public example, but minding to put her away. And we know that he, he was still considering because later on he says, it, it, the, the, the Bible says that as he was thinking about this, an angel appears. Right? So he has not really made up his mind how to do it, but he knows he's going to put her away. Now, think about this mess. It's a big mess. It's a huge struggle. Do you know that even if you want to do it quietly, you still need, by the law, how many witnesses? You still need witnesses, right? You cannot suddenly just oh, disappear and then someone asks, hey, where's your betrothed? Where's your wife? Uh, don't know. She didn't turn up. She, you, know, she, you, you can't answer that, right? You still need two or three witnesses at least and the authorities to effect the divorce and think about it. Do you think people can keep a secret? That's your guess. That's good as mine. And I, I, I'm looking at this and I realize, man, knowing what is right to do does not always mean it is easy to do what is right. Knowing what is right to do is not always easy to do what is right, especially when it involves a life. And friends, when you and, and I were on assignment for God, I can tell you, uh, 9 out of 10 times, uh, even 10 out of 10, uh, it will always involve a life. And we can be convicted with God's word and say, thus says the Lord, this is what we will do. And we are convicted. But along the way, we have to then consider, how do we do it? Because this life will be impacted. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Have you realized this in your own Christian world? Because if you have had to implement something and walk by God's ways, sometimes it's not as easy as it sounds. But let's understand the spirit of the law here. And this is where the beauty of this passage begins to unfold. What's the spirit of the law if we talk about divorce or we talk about, it talks about stoning um, uh, someone who is betrothed, who has been unfaithful to death? What's the spirit of the law? I believe the spirit of this law was to guard against sexual immorality. Is to guard against fornication or adultery. And at, at its core, it's to protect the sacred institution of marriage. It doesn't say it that way. But if we can look beyond the letter of the law to say, oh, you find this person like this, huh? hantam her. 
if we can look beyond that and look within that and start to see the heartbeat of God, what is God saying? Guys, don't do this. <laughs> because if you do this, it's going to mess up your marriage. It's going to mess up your relationship. It's going to kill society. Amen? That's the spirit of the law. But if you go by the letter of the law, along the way, this law was now used to justify all reasons and including excuses for divorce and the dissolution of marriages. And then they look at this verse and the Pharisees would, would, would tell Jesus, but if you say cannot divorce, then how come Moses in the law allow us? And Jesus says, look guys, Moses allowed this, or God allows this through Moses because of your hardness of heart. If you know the spirit of God's heart, he hates divorce. So let's understand, how, does, how do we apply this? So if we look at Joseph as he ponders this, well, technically, since Mary did not violate this, nor was she violated in any way. <laughs> in continuing with their betrothal and marriage, Joseph himself would not have broken the law at all. Right? Takes a little bit of a thinking, huh? Because Mary herself, if we take it as at God's word, she was not violated in any way by any man. She did not lie with any other man of her own accord. So technically, she did not violate the law. And because she did not violate the law for the preservation of the spirit of the law, Joseph, in carrying on in his relationship with her and to marry her, he himself will also not violate any law. So both of them are okay. Can you see the beauty of, of what is happening down here? Now you and I will look at this and say, yeah, okay. So Joseph knows this. Let's say he gives Mary the benefit of a doubt. Mary knows this because she received the confirmation from the angel. But the question is still there. Would everyone else understand and still accept this? Because by the time they get married, her little baby bump would have been showing. See, as we go about kingdom assignments, this is the lesson I want us to know. I believe God will never ask us to compromise His word. Never. God was not asking Joseph to compromise, to say, never mind, la, this one, we just bend the rules a little bit for Mary. No! Can you see this? God is saying, look, she did not violate anything. And so since she did not violate, you in marrying her will also not violate everything, anything. And that settles everything. God will never ask us to compromise His word in the name of His purpose. We don't bend our, uh, His rules just to use His name. He does, however, require that we hear His voice to know if we have understood His word correctly in its proper context and a given situation. That's not quite as easy. It all premises on the relationship with God. Amen? Right? So God won't ask you to compromise, but sometimes it's our interpretation our own, perhaps, legalism, our own pharisaical understanding in our over-enthusiasm. God will never compromise His Word, but instead, as He is guiding us, I believe, in addition, He sends messengers to clarify, guide, and direct us in our times of confusion and wrestling. That's why, you see, you cannot work this out on your own. We, we, we are not on assignment. It may be a personal assignment, but you know what? We need one another. You see, for Joseph, when he was still wrestling with this, God sent an angel, no less. If it's important enough, friends, God will send an angel to you. Don't go looking for angels all over the place. Alright? I believe in angels. If I get to see one, praise the Lord. If I don't get to see one, praise the Lord still. But I believe that if it's an important thing enough and God wants to direct me properly, He may even send me ten. Although one is more than enough. But if not an angel, can we have visions? Can we have dreams? Of course we have. How do we understand this? In the context of His Word. If we don't have that, can we have friends? Can we have godly counsel? Can we have good teaching? Yes, we can. 
See, God will never ask us to compromise His word. He will send people to clarify. But you see, there's a part for us to posture. If you want to be on assignment for God, I believe this relationship with Him and His word and to be willing to keep checking back with Him is very, very critical. But having said that, this does not mean that even after you have interpreted this word correctly, let's say 100%, however tough that might be, that it does not mean you will never be misunderstood or ridiculed. Today, the word of God is being twisted, perverted, all over the place. And I pray that we as archipuses here will stand on the authority of the word. And whatever I teach, you check me out. And if I'm wrong, I will acknowledge and I will change. Because we are not above any other. Amen? But we guide and walk with each other. That's how important this thing is. And in, in a time of ministry and our assignments, I know there are times where I want to see black and white, but God would show me what the Spirit of the law is. Not that I would compromise, but I would clearly then, in a better way, display his love, and His grace. And so, don't forget the spirit of the law. And we will come back to this as we continue in our study of, of Matthew because Jesus called the Pharisees to a higher righteousness. Can you see that? Exactly the same. But where did it start? Chapter 1. Point number 3. Do not be afraid to be assigned and messed up for the kingdom. And all God's people say, Amen, very weakly. I know you like the first part, right? Do not be afraid to be assigned. But it comes with the second part, a possibility or probability, do not be afraid to be messed up for the kingdom. Now, this is beautiful. I was reading Matthew, of course, 18 to 20, and do you know that between, between verses 18 and 19, you should insert in... Um, the, the, the account of Luke where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Now, at the point of Matthew's writing, I'm not sure whether he had or did not have, you know, depending on your understanding of whether Luke was written before or after. But now today, we have that benefit. So between 18 and 19, you insert Luke. And I was reading this and it was, it's almost comical. Today, if I will say to you, Sister, you're highly favored. You're richly blessed. How would you feel? You will say, Amen. If I look at you, brother, and I say, You are highly favored and you're richly blessed, you would say, Amen. And all of us would agree, Amen, right? But you know, when we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 28 to 31, the angel comes to Mary and he says this Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Do you think she, she jumped up? She said, hallelujah, amen. I'm richly favored, highly uh, blessed, or highly blessed, highly favored, and richly blessed, whichever way you want to turn it around. Look at her answer. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Does it shock you? You just said amen. You didn't sound very shocked. Well, she was shocked to be called Highly favored and blessed are you. And he considered what manner of greeting this was. It's almost comical. The angel comes to you and says, You are favored, you are blessed. Whoa, hang on. What's the catch? <laughs> no, 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 we got every, every day, just anyone come and say, I'm favored, I'm blessed. But today we lap it up. But you know, this, what, this was, this preceded. The giving of an assignment. So I'm looking at all of you in Christ. You are highly favored and you are richly blessed. Now, no one wants to say amen. <laughs> and all of you look troubled and wondered what kind of a manner of saying this is. Because you know now that we have been favored and blessed for a reason. Joseph had a messianic mission. It's a kingdom assignment, I call it today. Mary had a messianic mission. 
To Mary, the angel was saying, would you be a surrogate mother? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to just come and overshadow you and plant a seed in your womb? He's going to be great. His name is Jesus. You'll save him. You know, I mean, we know all that. Sometimes we know it too familiar. To Joseph, the angel says to him, you have to take Mary as your wife. Marry her. Don't worry. I want you to be a father to this child that's not actually yours. Huh? You have to make it legal. You're, you're the legal father. So that when he comes in and he, he, you, you adopt him, he's into the line of David and that settles the genealogy. Easy for you to say. Would you have blamed them if they were afraid? Joseph would have been afraid for himself. He would have been afraid for his reputation. He would have been afraid for Mary. I believe he loved Mary. You know, that if any word would have leaked out, whether he did it nicely, sensitively or not, she might still be stoned. And if she was not stoned, she would have to live with this scar all the days of her life. She would be the, the talk of the town. She would be the, the harlot of her days. That's why the angel comes to the both of them and says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Do not be afraid, because guess what, friends? God knows that there is fear within our heart. There's unknown. We know that messianic missions could be messy. It's a kingdom assignment. It's, it's, a, it's a bigger picture for the both of them. And of course, we know Jesus is the reason. It's going to be a blessing for everyone. But He doesn't promise you that after this, it's going to go well. The wedding is one big problem already. After that, she is born. All right? And then before uh, he is born. But before he is born, you know, they, they have to make the travel all the way to Bethlehem. They can't find a place. You know? And all the big messy stuff. And later on, Herod hears of it two years later and wants to kill the babies. And they, they have to now pack their bags and flee to Egypt. It's like, oh God, I didn't ask for this mess. You didn't tell me the big picture. That wasn't part of the contract. You only said, do not be afraid. <laughs> it can be very messy sometimes. How many of you are afraid now? And can I say to you, do not be afraid. <laughs> can you look at your neighbor and say, do not be afraid? Can you encourage someone? Okay? Let me lay it on a little bit more for you. Sometimes it doesn't just get messy for yourself, it gets messy for other people. I remember when I first broke the news of, of wanting to answer the full-time call to my parents, you know, and we were running a business together. For me, accepting that kingdom assignment, as it were, did not just mean that I must adjust the mess in my own life. I created a, a situation for them where they used to, where they once had someone to run the business, now they don't. Can you see? It gets messy. For them. Not only that, it messes up even my own family routine, my own family finances. After we had to take a decision about the company, you know, to, to bring it down or to wind it down, you know, it now messed up the jobs of my staff. Messianic missions can be messy. Ten years later, the Lord says, come out again. Where I'm going to bring you, you know, you don't know where you're going. Make sure you keep your eyes on me. Yes, sir. And I announced this, and it messed up the pastoral team. It messed up at least the ministries that I was in charge of, right? It messed up certain relationships. And Did everyone understand? Did everyone support? No, not really. Thankfully, most did. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being here, everyone. Messianic missions can be messy. But a beautiful promise is then, that's where Romans 8.28 kicks in, you see, that whatever we go through, whatever mess we are navigating, we may not understand it, we don't see the full picture, but we know all things will work for good. For those who love the Lord, who are the call according to His purpose. 
And that you can say, Amen. But I want to encourage you, do not be afraid to be assigned and to be messed up for the kingdom. Are you willing to suffer some personal inconvenience and perhaps even loss for the sake of the kingdom? That's a question for you. The fourth thing I realize is this. As I look at the birth of Jesus and the struggle of Mary and Joseph, I came up with this phrasing to say, God plants the seed of assignments in the wombs of our spirit, not by force, but by our faith. Let me read this once more. God plants the seed of assignments in the wombs of our spirits, not by force, but by faith. I never forget this one line that my lecturer, she has since gone home to be with the Lord, but I was impacted by her teaching. She's Dr. Tan Mei Ling from TCA College. And I just remember saying, do you know something? God is, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And love can never be forced. Love can be demonstrated, love can be received, but love cannot be forced in that sense. So I want to show you, I I just forced my way through. No. And God being love and God being grace and the Holy Spirit being gentleman in every part of Him as God comes to Mary and says, at least through Gabriel, His messenger, and says, this is what your assignment is to carry in your womb. To full term. God did not one day boom on Mary and force himself upon her, and she said this very loudly. That would have been rape. Whoa, that hit me. If she didn't use such a strong word, you know, it wouldn't have impacted me as much, right? But the Holy Spirit, although with the words of, of the Holy Spirit will overpower you, will overshadow you. I mean, I understand. How did it happen? When did it happen? It was right at the end when Mary actually said, I see, this is what you're showing me. This is what you're telling me. I believe this is from the Lord. I know this voice. I know this assignment. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me. According to your word. Can you see the difference? I've often wondered, if Mary never said that, how? Huh? Why well, Mary said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> there are a lot of virgins in Nazareth. Can you go look for someone else? I don't know. But isn't it beautiful that God did not force Mary? In the same way, was Joseph forced? I mean, the angel spoke with him and, and explained to him and laid down everything for him to say, look, this is what you're doing. Jesus is to come. He's going to save his people from their sins. And then, in Matthew 24, chapter 1, 24, 25, it concludes, then Joseph, after he gets up, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her or did not have relations with her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And I learned something from this. See, God has assignments for all of us. But it does not come just like that. He will speak a word into our hearts. He will speak to each and every one of us. And faith will arise. And before that happens, I know we wrestle, I know we struggle. Even after we said, yeah, Lord, I believe you, we are still wrestling, is it not? But you see, when we say, Lord, okay, this is the assignment, help me, Lord. Once you start to take the first step, that's your expression of faith through obedience. Faith is useless if it's not paralleled with obedience. So you believe this is what the Lord is saying to you. You believe this is what the assignment is all about. You believe that it's for a greater purpose of the kingdom. You say, Lord, I believe. I don't know how I understand it, but you better help me. I'm going to take that one step. Now, the moment you begin to move, That seed is planted. You understand? That word that is there, it begins conception. There's a gestation that happens. And when a gestation comes to a a, a, a God timing, 
That's when you birth out that assignment and out of which comes life. This is my experience and I'm just sharing it with you and I believe you may have similar stories to tell. The morning 27th of October 2013, I was sitting there by, my, by myself at the Kopitiam having my kopio and my two eggs. And I was reading Colossians and as I read it, Colossians 4.17 came out. That was the word, you understand? That was the word. And I knew it was Archippus' awakening from that one verse. With that, the seed of the assignment was planted within me because I said, yes, this is it, Lord. I'm going to move on this. How? I don't know. Mothers, older mothers, grandmothers, when you had your child inside, did you know how he or she looked like? You don't. Even with ultrasound today, you can't really make out anything. And don't be too detailed with it because the, 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 the sharper the image, the stronger the ultrasound. Not necessarily healthy for the fetus. We don't know how it's going to look, but on that day, Colossians 4, 17, the word that the Lord gave to me, the seed was planted in my womb of my spirit. And I began to conceive it. I started to think about it. I started to feed it. And you know, 40 weeks later, exactly on the 3rd of August, we took a step of faith and we say, we will launch it. And we called it not a launch event. We called it the birth event. 40 weeks exactly to the date. A perfect pregnancy gestation time. Mothers will know this. Guys, lost. Our keeper's awakening was birth. You know, James describes sin in the same way in James 1, 14 to 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Can you see that? There's something that's planted, there's a conception as you are enticed and you're thinking about it. As you conceive it, it gives birth to sin. And when it comes up, it brings forth death. But a kingdom assignment as you conceive and as you birth, it will bring forth life. Hallelujah. Can I suggest to you that many times God says, I want to plant that seed. Some of us might say, Chotok, wait, huh? Not me. Huh? Some of us may receive the seed of the assignment and somehow it's, it's, it's aborted. We don't feed it, we don't nurture it, we don't conceive it. We, we believe for a while and afterwards, it cannot be. Like, I, I, I don't think so. It cannot be me. Like, I, maybe I, it's gone. And I see the example of Mary here. So beautiful. God will never force something upon you. What we do unintentionally is a different thing. Because God will still work His plan. But what God desires for us is we receive it, not by His force. We receive it by faith. And it can be messy. I've seen seven births. It's messy. I've had the opportunity to observe six. And I was the midwife for the seventh. Trust me, it's messy. And yet, as I caught my daughter in our very own bedroom, we see the design of God. We see the hand of God. We see the grace of God. That although after she comes out, sliding out, catching her, placing her on serene, blood all over, fluid all over. I'll just leave you at that. Messy. What do we have? Life and joy. Friends, this is what it means to be on Simon for God. Your life will change. This is what Jesus means when He says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This is what He means when He says that if you will do the Father's will, you know, no greater joy will you have. This is what it is. Through that mess, you will receive this. 
And this is my desire that if I have tasted a little bit of it, I know there's a lot more because I know I'm not fully there yet. That you, whoever is sitting here this evening or listening to this recording, you know, that if you have not even tasted a little bit of that, can you say to the Lord, say, Lord, you birthed this within me, Lord. I'm willing. I do everything in the church. Burn out, drag my feet there, don't want to do gossip. Lord, something is missing. (laughs) It's by faith. And finally, the fifth point. God's sovereignty invites, includes, and involves men's participation. What would have happened if Mary or Joseph had not cooperated, you know, or if they had not accepted the assignments? I, I tell you, there are just too many permutations to consider. And you can spin any story better than I can. And so the easiest answer I can give you is, I don't know. I don't know. But we know that whatever happens or does not happen, God's plan will still prevail. And His kingdom objectives will still advance. I've come to realize this early on to say God's going to move forward whether you are with Him or not. God's going to do it whether you receive or accept or fulfill your assignment or not. And we can debate foreknowledge, we can debate predestination and we're going to stay here all night. And the problem with these discussions is sometimes it gets too intellectual, it gets very cyclical, actually it goes nowhere. So I'd rather look at it as God's invitation by grace. See, God is sovereign. Whether you accept or don't accept, He's still sovereign. Even if you accept and change your mind, you think you mess God's plans up, but He's still sovereign. That's how sovereign He is. That's how in control He is. That's how great our God is. Amen? So you don't worry about messing up God's plan. Just allow God to mess up you a bit. Or mess you up a little bit. Because whatever happens, it's going to go forward anyway. But are you in it? Look at this invitation by grace. I don't have to feature, and yet I do. I don't deserve to feature, and yet He has made it possible through Jesus Christ. He doesn't need me, and yet He invites me. He doesn't depend on me, and yet however small or insignificant my assignment may be, it's going to make a difference. How how awesome is that? See, this is God's sovereignty that invites, includes, and involves man's participation. What an honor and a privilege. There will be no more Bibles written, so we cannot be like Joseph and Mary and be recorded there. But there are books in God's presence. It's not just the book of life. Read your Bible. It says that on that final day, the books will open. And the rewards are according to how and what we do as assigned by the Lord. So let me conclude. Once again, messianic missions, everyone, can be messy. Have you realized that now? Those we create our own mess, huh? don't count. Huh? That's our own problem. Huh? But God's kingdom assignments at times can involve mess. But you see, Joseph and Mary, they're not the only ones. The Bible is full of characters whose lives were, as it were, messed up as they went about fulfilling God's assignments. Moses, he was prince of Egypt, messed up for the Messiah. Hosea, asked to marry a prostitute, messed up for the Messiah. Jeremiah, promising young man, messed up for the Messiah. Got thrown into dungeons, death threats. Ezekiel, the most drama mama prophet of all, messed up for the Messiah. John and James, running their family business, messed up for the Messiah. 
Paul, brilliant scholar, set for great things in the Sanhedrin, messed up for the Messiah. Matthew, tax collector, wealthy, set for life, messed up for the Messiah. Today is Holy Week. How about Jesus, the Messiah? Messed up for us. Have you ever considered that? See, even today, as we learn about his birth, we remember his death. The Messiah was born to be messed up. The Messiah was born to be messed up for us on our behalf. How do we respond? How do we respond? I mean, this is Passion Week. We're going to celebrate Good Friday. We're going to thank Jesus, the Son of Man, man who, who came not to be served, but to serve. We're going to have images of the cross. We're going to be reminded of His, of his stripes. That he was broken for us all. Friends, he was, he was messed up for us. And today He says, Will you be willing to be messed up for me? Will you accept the glory of your mess? Because you know there's a promise of the glory of the Messiah. Tonight, I want to ask you this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? No one can force you. It must be by faith. Three verses. But I love scripture because there's just so much in there that we can learn and we can draw. Three verses about Joseph and Mary and a mess that they were put in. But if we would understand what it really means to serve Jesus, I believe we would willingly give up our all for Him because He gave up His all for us. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank You. You are the Messiah. There's no doubt about it. But You are the Messiah messed up for us. And Lord, this evening, we want to remember the price that You have paid for Your bride. You are the bridegroom coming back for us. A precious price, Your life for us. And with Your blood, Lord, that You have shed for us, You have cleansed us, You have brought us into relationship with Heavenly Father, and now you say, will you be assigned for the kingdom? And Lord, we know we struggle with this wherever we are, however we may be, however long we have been Christians. But tonight, I just sense you challenging us even as we ponder through this holy week. Will we be willing to be messed up on a kingdom assignment if it so calls for it? And so friends, your eyes are closed now. I just want you to respond quickly. How many of you have been touched by at least a point in this teaching? Perhaps the Lord is just stirring within your hearts. And if you say, Lord, by faith, let that seed of that assignment be planted in me. I don't know what it's going to be at this point in time, but I want to know my assignment. I want to fulfill my assignment. So help me, God. If that's your desire, will you just raise your hand? Say, Lord, this is my obedient gesture of faith. Just leave it there for a while. Anyone else? Anyone else who says, Lord, I don't know what my assignment is. I just want to be clear, but I want to receive it by faith. Just plant that seed into my womb of my spirit right now and protect it. Guard it, O oh Lord. Preserve it, O oh God as I do my part to nurture it, to feed it, and to draw from you. Because this is a spiritual exercise, Lord. I cannot do it by myself. Lord, you see the hands that are raised up. I pray a blessing upon these, Lord, that you will help them. That in the days ahead, Lord, that it will become clear and clearer for these. There's a second group of people I want to pray with. You can put on your hands. If, if you are going through some mess, because you're serving the Lord and you know that things don't 
are not going well for whatever reason. And you say, Lord, I need grace. I need your strength tonight. Thank you for helping me understand this and for encouraging me. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? I see that hand. Anyone else? That you're on assignment for the Lord and you know it. And because of that, words have come against you. Relationships you know, have been strained. You've had to sacrifice certain things. You've had to readjust or realign. And you've been messed up for the Lord. Is there anyone else? Would you just quickly raise your hand? I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone else? Because I want to pray God's favor upon you. Hallelujah. Lord, strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen these, Lord. Because, Lord, they want to stay on the right path. They want to continue with their assignment and be found faithful, whatever this may be, in this season of their journey and their life. So I pray, Lord, your strength and your grace. I pray, Lord, that you will open their eyes to have a greater understanding of the bigger picture for them to know, like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, who for the joy that would be set before these, Lord, they will endure this situation or the people that are coming against them. Lord, Lord, help them. Walk with them, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. And so, Father, we want to say thank you again for your grace. We thank you for Scripture. We, we know your Word is not just ink on a page, but it's a life. And I thank you that it reveals Jesus to all of us again. Help us, Lord. Enable us, O oh Lord, as we journey with one another. We bless you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.